When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. It's episode 82 of the podcast and plenty to get to today. We're going to be talking NHL draft just as we will all the way from now until the draft. We're going to get to the Men's World Championship and also talk about the Clark Cup champion, Youngstown Phantoms. Can't wait to talk about all that. There's so much to get to. We have tons of questions from listeners as well. Before we get into that, just want to remind you, if you haven't yet subscribed, we've got the Kelly Cup playoffs in full swing on flowhockey.tv. Incredible performances so far from all the teams still remaining. The Idaho Steelheads have a 2-0 lead on the Toledo Walleye. That next game is coming the same day that we're recording this, so could be a different series score after that. And then also the uh, uh, over in the east, you've got the Florida Everblades and the Newfoundland Growlers, and that has been a very interesting series. It's 2-1 to one as the remainder of the series heads back to Canada, where the Growlers will look to get back in after getting that Game 3 win. So lots of great content there, uh, tons of great games, lots of drama, a lot of physicality, and a lot of goals as well. So make sure you are signed up for that. But we've got so much to get to. We don't want to waste much more time talking about that because we're going to get into the the thing that most recently happened, and if you were subscribed to Flow Hockey, you were able to see the Youngstown Phantoms claim their first ever Clark Cup championship in the United States Hockey League. An incredible performance from the Phantoms from start to finish. They swept the Fargo Force. And the reason we bring this up is there's a lot of NHL draft eligible players that were in this tournament, and nobody raised their stock more in this postseason than goaltender Jacob Fowler. Fowler closed out his season with a shutout in the championship game. He was the USHL goaltender of the year. He gets a shutout in the championship games, finishes the playoffs with a 952 save percentage. And this is a guy that is headed to Boston College next year. It's going to be interesting to see where he goes. We do have a, a question um, about Fowler later in the show, and we'll get to that. But just where he's going to end up, because there are actually quite a few goaltenders in this draft that people are going to be really interested in tracking. And, you know, even looking at at Fowler, he might be the third or possibly even fourth goalie out of the USHL taken if you want to also include Adam Guyon, who played a little bit in the USHL this year, but primarily played in the North American Hockey League. But we've also got Trey Augustine and Michael Robble, who are going to be top-end draft picks for uh, you know in the goaltending position. We don't know if there will be any first-rounders taken, but there is a chance that those guys could go and, and will Fowler be in that mix. So he could not have left a better lasting impression. I think the combine is actually going to be very important for Fowler. I think that there's a lot of people interested to see how his physical testing goes and also how his interviews go just to get to know him better. He's a Florida-born prospect. He had a great rookie year last year with Youngstown, and now he's got this championship pedigree to go along with it, and that helps a lot. Another guy that absolutely raised his stock in this postseason and on Cerbone. He's an, a re-entry for this draft. He's headed to Quinnipiac formerly committed to Michigan. He's going to be a guy that I think a lot of people 
are going to going to take a long look at as a re-entry option. He scored the game-winning goal in the championship game, Game 3, the decisive Game 3, which was played in front of a sold-out Covelli Center in Youngstown. So not only was this great histor- historically for the franchise to win their first championship, but boy, did they generate a lot of interest in the community. They had Cardale Jones dropping the first uh, the opening face-off. They had a DJ between periods. I mean, it was an absolute party festival. And then they close it out by winning the whole thing. Um, you know, some really other some some guys that made a major impact in this series. You know, uh, Shane Lachance was the team captain. He's the son of Scott Lachance, who played in the NHL, who still works in the NHL. Big player, big body. You know, he was the guy that got to receive the trophy first. Edmonton Oilers draft pick. Um, you know, the size that he has, this goal scoring ability. He's going to be a really good player at Boston University next year and make a big impact there. Uh, Martin Mishiak and William Whitelaw, another couple of draft eligibles that had tremendous postseason performances, highly skilled individuals, guys that scored big goals. So to see that success that Youngstown had this season, and, and, and hats off to head coach Ryan Ward in his first year as a head coach in this league, and to the entire management team, over there by, for, for the Youngstown Phantoms. They made a lot of moves that really worked out well for this team, and that team absolutely dominated in that final game. They were just did not let Fargo get anywhere close, and then when they did, Jacob Fowler was there. So a lot of guys raising their stock, and I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more from this team as it goes forward. You know, it's The thing about junior hockey, it's pretty crazy how things can turn around. Two years ago, the Youngstown Phantoms were dead last in the, in the USHL, it was the COVID season where there were a lot of disruptions, but they finished in last place two years later. They're champions of the league, first time ever. Congratulations to the Youngstown Phantoms. And if you missed any of those games, you can go back and watch all the highlights on flowhockey.tv, or you can watch all the archives if you are subscribed. So make sure you do that because there were some great performances. If you're a fan of the NHL draft, you can go back and watch all the draft prospects right there on Flow Hockey. But what a great performance by Youngstown to close out the USHL season. All right, we're going to move on to the Men's World Championship now because this has been an event that has a lot of NHL draft interest. A number of top prospects have been playing. But also, if you are a fan of USA Hockey or you're a Team USA person, well, they gave you a lot to cheer about in this opening round. They are 7-0 and going into the playoff round. The first time ever Team USA has won their first seven games at a world championship at the men, at the men's side. And so this is a pretty significant moment. Now, Team USA hasn't won a gold medal at the men's world championship in 90 years. I'm not exaggerating. It's literally 90 years that the last time they won gold. And, you know, the, the world championship hasn't necessarily mattered. But this year, it clearly, you know, the guys that they brought have really brought it. You know, Alex Tuck being an NHL veteran, a guy that's a star player for the Buffalo Sabres coming in and making an impact on this team. Two of the top scorers on this team are AHL regulars, TJ Tyne and Rocco Grimaldi, two guys that have, have had great careers. They always you know, were undersized players, but incredibly skilled. They've made the most of the extra space uh, in, in Tampere, where they've been playing all year or all tournament. Um, they have the hybrid ice style. So those guys have been taking advantage, you know, getting pucks wide, using their speed and creating a lot of opportunities for their teammates. And, you know, they've, they've been great playmakers there. So that's huge. The young guys have really stepped up for Team USA. Cutter Goche is the team's leading goal scorer. Lane Hudson scored another big goal for Team USA at the Worlds uh, in their last game to beat uh, to help them beat Sweden. He, he had the third goal. They ended up needing overtime, and the overtime game-winning goal was set up by Carter Mazur, who played for Denver this season in college hockey and as a Detroit Red Wings draft pick. 
Dylan Sandberg got the game winning goal. Not the guy that you would expect to get it, but he sure did. And 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 USA gets that seven win. So they will play Czechia on Thursday. Um, you know, as we record this, it'll certainly uh, you know you, by the time you listen to this, it may have already happened. But that's a big game. It's not an easy game, uh, certainly. But Team USA is the number one overall seed in the tournament. So when they reseed for the semifinals, they'll play the lowest seed remaining. We'll see who that ends up being. Um, but they, you know, they have to they have to get through Czechia first, which is by no means a given, especially at this level. As far as the draft prospects go, Leo Carlson has had a tremendous tournament so far. He's been really good um, in terms of getting the guys, uh, getting sc- scoring opportunities and taking advantage. He scored two goals against Team USA, including the game's first goal on a beautiful one-timer. And, you know, I think that he has shown us everything we've needed to see in terms of, you know, is this guy going to be the number two, number three, number four pick? I think, you know, it's more than likely he's going to be that number three pick. It certainly could be number four. Um, but, you know, I think that that's, the, that's what we're talking about between him and Will Smith more than him and Adam Fantilli. But you never really know. Adam Fantilli also at the World Championship with Team Canada. He In his last game, he got a, a major and a game misconduct for uh, checking to the head. Um, and then, you know, was that that kind of cost him some time. He hasn't had the production. He hasn't had the role that Leo Carlson has had with Sweden. So it's kind of hard to judge their tournament side by side. Um, one bit of good news, however, is that David Reinbacher did return for Austria, managed to play in the last couple of games. You know, tough to kind of gauge his overall effectiveness. You know, he wasn't able to necessarily do all the things that you would expect him to do. Uh, but good to see that he wasn't seriously injured when he took a hip check uh, earlier in the tournament that cost him uh, that the rest of that game against Sweden and then the next two games after that. But David Reinbacher, I think the odds-on favorite to be the number one defenseman picked, a likely top 10 pick in this upcoming draft. He is okay. No structural damage there. So the the Men's World Championship, which if you're in the United States, is on NHL Network. Um That gold medal game will be on Sunday, and we will see if Team USA is there. Uh, We will recap the tournament on next week's episode very briefly because we're going to have a lot to get to on the NHL draft front because uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but the draft is like a month away now, just a little over a month away. That means draft rankings are coming out, and Flow Hockey's draft rankings will be coming out on June 1st. So June 1st, now that I'm saying it on the podcast, you have to hold me to it. That's the deadline. For the draft rankings, the top 100 will be out on June 1st. So get ready for that. Going to be excited to bring that to you. But the Men's World Championship, it's been a great tournament. We'll see where everything ends up at the end. But boy, what a, what a tournament it's been and what a performance for Team USA. Really looking forward to seeing what happens there because I, I certainly have never thought in my lifetime we'd see Team USA uh, play this well and then also, you know, really have an honest-to-goodness shot at winning the gold medal for the first time in 90 years. All right, one last thing we're going to get to before we get to our draft Q&A, because you guys asked a ton of questions, but I did want to mention this importantly because the biggest news in the prospect space, at least right now, is that Logan Cooley, the number three overall pick from last year's draft, is returning to the University of Michigan next or University of Minnesota next season. Excuse me. Uh, going back to Minnesota, big time opportunity for the Gophers to get their number one guy back, their top scorer from last season, a Hobie hat trick finalist, a guy that a lot of people said, hey, maybe it's time for him to go pro as a one and done. Logan Cooley says, no, I'm going to wait. Now, if you're an Arizona Coyotes fan, you've had enough bad news lately. I don't want you to add this to the pile yet. 
yes, it's unfortunate for you that you won't get to see Logan Cooley in a Arizona Coyotes uniform next season. However, from a development standpoint, this is probably not the worst decision to make. You know, the Coyotes still have a ways to go in terms of being competitive. They obviously have the arena issues that have cropped up, and, and we talked about it last week. Again, you know, you really feel for the fans. They've had enough bad news. But this has been a really tough time for them. But Logan Cooley is the future. He is the future face of this team, I think. I think he's one of the most dynamic players in this draft. And if we did a redraft for last year's draft, you know, I had Cooley number one last year. He's still number one for me in that regard. So now he goes back to Minnesota. So what is there left to accomplish? Well, Minnesota didn't win the national championship, which is a huge motivation. They lost in overtime in heartbreaking fashion to Quinnipiac. Logan Cooley has another chance at a national title. On top of that, he also has the chance to win the Hobie Baker because he'll be the odds-on favorite going into the season, and that'll give him a real opportunity. Minnesota's going to have a roster that, you know, they're going to have some losses from last year's team. Most of their decor is gone to the NHL, uh, but they might get some guys back, and then, you know, that they have some players that can help them push forward. They got the same goaltender. There's a lot of positives there, and then they also got Bryce Brodzinski and Jackson Nelson to stay uh, for next season, on top of that, having Jimmy Snuggerud, and then they've got top recruits like Oliver Moore, Sam Renzel. You know, they're going to have a number of of top quality prospects that can come in and play with Logan Cooley and support that team and give them an opportunity to actually win the national championship and give Cooley a chance to go for that Hobie Baker. It's also good news for Team USA because Cooley will now be able to go back for another World Junior Championship. He'll have a chance to you know go for a gold medal, which has been eluding him so far in his international career. And I think that that's got to be part of the motivating factor of going back was to have a chance to play at the World Juniors and get another crack at a gold medal after winning bronze last season. So good news for Team USA to get Logan Cooley back. A lot of great things happening on the Team USA and University of Minnesota front as Logan Cooley is returning. All right. So. We got a lot of questions. They're uh, they're all almost all NHL draft related. I might not be able to get to all of them in today's show because I do want to keep this one brief because next week we're going to have a lot more to talk about with draft rankings coming out. But I got a lot of questions that are, you know, draft adjacent and draft relevant. So we're going to get to those right now in this Q&A and I you know what you guys continue to amaze me with the number of questions that you ask both in the amount and then also in the quality. Uh, but we're going to start with a real easy one with a great screen name, too. And this one comes from She Shoots, She S'mores, Memorial Cup Predictions and Thoughts. All right, so Memorial Cup's predictions. So Memorial Cup will start on Friday. The Quebec Remparts will be playing the Kamloops Blazers, the hosting team, in the opening game of the Memorial Cup. And that is going to really get us started on what should be a tremendous event. So you've got the Quebec Remparts, the Kamloops Blazers, the Seattle Thunderbirds, and the Peterborough Peets. The Peets had a great playoff series to win the OHL against the London Knights. Seattle Thunderbirds won the WHL. That is an absolute wagon of a team. The Blazers, even though they lost in the playoffs, did not win their league. They have a wagon of a team, too, with a number of high-quality NHL prospects on their roster. Um, and then you've got the Remparts that won the QMJHL pretty convincingly led by head coach Patrick Waugh. 
you know, the team that I think everybody's going to be watching very closely, though, is Seattle. And actually, the WHL in general. The, the WHL has really struggled at this event. They had the Edmonton Oil Kings last year. Didn't manage to get into the championship game. You know, so they've, they've constantly been trying to win the big one. Well, I think they've got a great opportunity because they have two teams in the league, in, in the tournament, the Memorial Cup tournament, that are going to be really tough to beat. So Seattle has arguably the best roster in junior hockey right now. They've got five first-round NHL draft picks on their roster, including Reed Schaefer, Brad Lambert. Um, you've got Nolan Allen. You've got Kevin Korchinski. Um, and then also Dylan Gunther, who was added uh, when the Arizona Coyotes sent him back to junior. And so now you've got that. Plus, you've got a number of other prospects that have made your roster and certainly uh, uh, make that a, a tougher team. You've also got the goalie in Thomas Millick that was the MVP of the WHL playoffs. So I think Seattle's the team to beat. I think that they are the best put together team. They are probably the the most uh, threatening team. But I think it, you know, I think this really will come down to Cam Loops and Seattle. Now, that's not to take anything away from Peterborough or Quebec because both of those teams can absolutely win this thing. I think Cam Loops has the advantage of being rested. Uh, you know, you the the four teams that play in this event are the three league champions and the tournament host. Cam Loops is hosting. And so now they've got home ice advantage on top of everything else, plus that rest. We saw it last year, you know, with St. John winning. So this is going to be a really interesting time for uh, uh, for for CHL fans because, you know, I think that there are four legitimate threats here. But I do think that the Memorial Cup is going back to the WHL this year for the first time in a while. So great question there. She shoots, she smores, and an even better uh, screen name there. All right, we're going to move on to our, our next question. We've got several Leo Carlson-related questions here, and the first one that we're going to go with comes from Brian. And Brian asks, given the events of the past week or so, are the Ducks even considering Leo Carlson at number two, or is that a rumor just being floated out there? You know, that's a good question, Brian. I, you know, I don't necessarily know that it's a rumor being floated out there. I, I just think that the teams that are at the top of the draft have to do their due diligence, and I think that that's still what even – you know, the Ducks probably have a very good idea of who they're going to take. Um, you know, I still think that Adam Fantilli is the best overall fit for their team. But I think that you have to at least give Leo Carlson some consideration at number two, especially knowing that we've, we're seeing him play at the center position at the World Championship right now. We're seeing what he's able to accomplish uh, there. He's scoring. He's playing with good players. He's complementing good players there. That's an important thing. And so you can't discount that. That said, you look at the entire body of work over the entire season, and it's really hard to deny what Adam Fantilli has done for his team and for you know for for himself, uh, having been so good at Michigan, winning the Hobie Baker, being a guy that has some grit, some tenacity, and some tremendous speed. You know, I think the snarl in his game is going to really speak to the Ducks, and I, I do think that overall he makes the most sense for them. So I just think that, you know, if you're hearing that the Ducks are considering Leo Carlson, well, they should be just because that's what you do. You don't you don't count all of your chickens before they hatch and you don't try to evaluate or make your pick well before you have to. Um, and that's what I think that the the Anaheim Ducks are going to do here with Leo Carlson. Um, you know, so this is going to be a. We've got a couple more Carlson questions. The next one is gonna I'm, I'm gonna move into comes from Marcus, and this is specific to the the two that are, the two players that we just mentioned. And Marcus asks, does the fact that Leo Carlson has outplayed Adam Fantilli in both the World Junior Championship and the World Championship 
as well as being the sixth all-time in points per game for draft eligibles at the World Championship, push him to second overall? It's a good question from Marcus, and I think it's one that, you know, is, you know, you have to consider it. But what I would say is that, you know, when we do these evaluations of these players and we don't necessarily evaluate them in one-to-one situations because of, you know, Leo Carlson was put in different positions on Team Sweden than Adam Fantilli was on Team Canada. And that largely has to do with, in both cases, Team Sweden lacking the same level of depth as Adam Fantilli. So we would expect, because Leo Carlson is getting a bigger opportunity, we would expect him to produce. We would expect him to have a better tournament. I even said this before uh, the tournament began. I said, don't be surprised if Leo Carlson outproduces Adam Fantilli at this event. Um, You know, and I think Fantilli's World Juniors was a little eye-opening for sure. Like, you know, he ended up kind of getting moved around. I think he lost the faith of his coach early, and then he got it back and played his best two games, the most important two games of the tournament, the semifinal and the gold medal game. And, you know, Leo Carlson was excellent in that event as well. But if you take the whole body of work and you also look at the different needs and, you know, the fact that Carlson played mostly wing this year, we're seeing that he can absolutely play center. We're seeing the pace isn't an issue with him. We're seeing that, you know, he has the intelligence uh, and there's certainly that that's a that's a, a mitigating factor in, in, in the decision process saying, you know, I think Leo Carlson might have the better overall hockey sense. There's still, you know, other factors at play, and we're not just judging these guys off of the events that they've they've had. Um, and I know that that can kind of be hard sometimes for, you know, when you say, oh, well, one, you look at the two and you try to compare apples to apples. It's not necessarily that the way we can do that, especially with the fact that Fantilli is playing on a team that is largely comprised of NHL players, whereas Sweden has more SHL players than they do NHL players. Um, you know, that's kind of how Carlson has had the opportunities that he's had. He's not playing in a similar situation. So that's how we have that kind of discussion. It's a very important point. Um, but I, I still think that in the end, and especially on, you know, on my list, no spoilers, uh, but you know, this, I am going to spoil it. You know, the number two for me is, is pretty easy and it's still Fantilli. All right. Our last Carlson question uh, comes from Posty, and this is uh, comparing him to another player in the world championship uh, and one that went in the draft last season. Posty asks, what separates Leo Carlson from Cutter Gauthier in terms of NHL projection? Gauthier seems like a more enticing package to me, at least from a general standpoint, tools wise. You know, I think their, their, their overall projection is pretty similar. Like Carlson, Gauthier played wing most of his draft season. He was centered by Logan Cooley. Carlson played wing mostly at the SHL, but now we're seeing him play center. Goche, oddly enough, not playing center at the world championship. He is taking some draws here and there, and he's playing the center position occasionally, but he's been more on the wing. Um, you know, I think that the the question between the two is probably going to come down to, you know, I think Goche has the overall better athletic package. He's a better skater. I think the hand skills might be a little bit better, and I think he's got a better shot. Um, and so that's what I think separates him a little bit. I don't think that Carlson is is um, heads above him as a player. I think they're probably similar in terms of overall value and projection. Um, you know, the thing that I think Carlson has an advantage on most players in this draft, and then also a number of prospects from outside of this draft, is how good his hockey sense is. He thinks and processes the game 
at an exceptionally high level. He plays a very mature style. I think Cutter Goche can be a little bit wilder at times. Same with Adam Fantilli, a little bit on the wild side in terms of, you know, take the different approaches they take. Um, but I think having that physicality, having that size, having the the speed that Goche does, that's probably the separator um, in terms of, you know, what the offensive capabilities are. So, you know, I don't think that there's a huge gap between those two players, and I, but, but I think it's an interesting kind of comparison to bring up especially since we had kind of a similar discussion around Gauthier as we are with Carlson this season. So good question and much appreciated. We move on to another top-tier prospect, and this one comes from Knievel. And Knievel asks, how do you see Ryan Leonard's upside as an NHLer? Do you think he can become impact, as impactful as guys like Brady Kachuk, Matt Boldy, or Gabriel Landeskog, et cetera? Wow, good question. And I think... You know, those are those are really good, interesting players to bring up for Leonard because I think, you know, in the case of Kachuk, more rugged style, but he also had a size advantage, doesn't have the skating ability of Ryan Leonard, but, you know, he had a lot of tools. Um, Matt Boldy, another guy, you know, the guys that you're bringing up are all bigger than, uh, than Ryan Leonard is, and... The thing about Ryan Leonard is he might be five foot eleven, but gosh, does it feel like he's you know six one, six two out there the way that he plays the game? Um, you know, some guys just look big on the ice, and he's one of them. He's not a big guy, but he plays big, and he's got the sturdiness to him. You know, so can he be a top of the lineup player? I think yes. I think he's got the shot. I think he's got the competitive edge, the skating ability. I think this is a guy that could potentially be a top line wing in the NHL. I think that's the most optimistic projection. I think he's a top six all day for me. Um, you know, I think he processes the game. But the thing about you know Brady Kachuk and Matt Bolt, Brady Kachuk and Matt Boldy both process the game at an, at an elite level. I mean, high, high, high end hockey sense. I think that that's a separating factor. Same with Landeskog as well. You could put that in there um, just to just to bring up the players that you mentioned. But you know, you you think about other guys that that, that are around the league and in the league that can make an impact. And I think that, you know, the way that Ryan Leonard plays is he has such a um, just just this edge to him that I think is going to give him the opportunity to play pretty high up in the lineup. And so um, that's going to be interesting to watch because Ryan Leonard, I think, has a little more time to develop. He's got more that he can do to, to become a better player. But, yeah, I mean, I do think that those are in terms of overall impact, I think those – you know, Landeskog is such a good player and, you know, he's unfortunately injured and, and may not be back for, for a long time. Um, we hope he does come back because he's had just a tremendous career. But, you know, Boldy and Kachuk are a number of guys that I think uh, that, you know, kind of fit in terms of the style that you want to see Ryan Leonard play. And I think that's what he can do. So really good question in terms of and it made me think about things a little bit differently in terms of, of Ryan Leonard. We've got another Leonard-related question. It also comes down to, to Will Smith. And Dude asks, hello again, Dude. Dude asks, Smith and Leonard, do you see them staying more than one season at Boston College? Is it better for their development to stay in the NCAA until they are NHL ready? Or would they benefit by going to the AHL after one to two seasons of playing college hockey? Very good question because I think that these two guys are, you know, they're, 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 they're in the mix to be one and dones, but it is becoming rarer and rarer to see a one and done situation. I think players would prefer to spend the extra year in college 
and that you know and it's not not because they're trying to avoid the ahl it's just it's a great place for them to be because they get such good development at the collegiate level they have to you know you can live the college lifestyle you can also train at world-class facilities you know the especially at a place like boston college you want for nothing while you're in school you know you do you need to go right away you know some guys definitely want to go and get that money right away and get their signing bonus and start playing um i think that these guys have the luxury of being able to stick around and and you know i definitely think you know will smith has a lot of strength training to do ryan leonard just in terms of playing at uh, against tough competition at college um and then also that goes for gabe perot as well i think all i think both of those players smith and leonard and i think also gabe perot you're looking at a minimum of two years for those guys to be there i think that there's a very small chance we just saw logan cooley the number three overall pick decide to go back to minnesota we saw owen power and maddie Beneers one and two picks uh kent johnson a top five pick or top six pick you know those are those are guys that that made the decision one and done is just not happening at the collegiate level as much anymore. It's not to say that it won't, you know, we'll see what happens with, with uh, Macklin Celebrini next year, because we expect him to be the number one pick. But I think Smith, Leonard and Perot are probably going to be two year guys at Boston college. They're going to get a chance to play in two world junior championships. They're going to have a lot of incentives to stick around. And not only that, it's probably best for their development. Now, that's not to say the AHL can't be a great place because I think it is. I think the AHL is a fantastic place to develop. But, you know, I would say that with that, you know, the these guys probably feel like as they watch Kale McCarr and Owen Power and Maddie Beneers, if you stay that extra year in college, you can potentially skip that step. You can potentially move on. And so... um I think that that's ultimately what will happen with those players is that if if confronted with those two things, they will stay in school um, because I don't think that either of them look like they'll be on a track to be NHL ready in two seasons. Um, I think after two seasons, then yes, we can have that discussion. All right. Now we're going to go into some of these team-specific questions that I got from people and uh, take a little sip of water to, to cool down for a second as I... I'm just red hot answering these questions right now, trying to get through these quickly. All right, so let's move on to Jason. And Jason asks, who do you see the Flyers taking at seven? Well, obviously, we got to figure out who's going to go first through sixth, which we won't know. But I would say I can give you a couple of players that I think will be available there. Excuse me. So on that, with the Flyers, at number seven, I think it's a great place to be because a lot of the decisions are going to be made for you and there's still going to be a really good player there. So what happens there? I think there's the there's a potential that Ryan Leonard is still on the board there. And I think that that's the player that really fits the style that the Flyers want to play, not because he's a rugged player, but because he's actually fast, skilled, and then has that ruggedness on top of it. So he could be a guy that is a long-term line mate of Cutter Goche, who they drafted fifth overall last year. You know, I think that's a good a good position for them to be in. Could they go defense? If David Reinbacher is still on there at seven, and I'm not convinced he will be, but he could be, does that make sense? A right shot defenseman with mobility, potential top pairing upside? That would be hard to pass up in that range. You know, we don't know exactly what Danielle Briere is going to do uh, now that he is the the general manager of this team. I mean, it's a new leadership group. It's a new structure. How are they going to do things? You know, we figure... 
we, we just don't know. And, and, you know, Danny Briere, one thing I'll say about him, if you are a Philadelphia Flyers fan, this is a guy that's been putting in the work. At all the events that I've been to over the last couple of years, I've seen Danny Briere there. He is a guy that that is got his hands dirty. He went to the ECHL work with the Maine Mariners for a while on the business side. You know, he went to school to 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 you know get more education and get get ready for this opportunity. I think this is a great choice for them. And I also think, you know, I can't wait to see how he operates a team because we just we we don't know. We haven't seen it. So you know, I think that there's there's options there. Guys like Ryan Leonard makes sense. David Reinbacher makes sense. Is Dalibor Dvorsky an option for them? A center? You know, a guy that that can you know is he going to go in that range? It's certainly possible. You know, I, I think it's less likely they go with a Zach Benson. He doesn't really seem to fit their profile in terms of organizationally and also in terms of needs. You know, that I think that they could still use some guys that have some size with that 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 skill as well. And Benson doesn't necessarily have the size or the speed that maybe the Flyers want to start going towards when they have guys like, you know, Cutter Goche, Cam York coming up, you know, they had some young guys that played on their roster this season. You know, those, as they turn the roster over to those players, they're going to need more skill and, and probably still more size yet. So a very good question. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see exactly what the Flyers do because they're going to have great options available to them. But we move on to our next question. And this one comes from Graham. Oh, and once thing before I move on to the next question, just really quickly, the Flyers also could potentially have the option to draft Matt Bay Mitchkov, which we're going to get to in our next question here. If they do decide to take Matt Bay Mitchkov, take on the risk and everything else, that would be a very interesting thing. But I think because of where they're at in their organizational restart, maybe that's not the play for them. But you couldn't get a better player at seven if Mitchkov is still on the board. So I will say that. But we go to our next question. This one comes from Graham, and it's about pick number eight. Who do you think the Washington Capitals might take at number eight, and who do you think will be available? Some of the same names that I just mentioned. I think Dvorsky, possibly Reinbacher. But the one that I'm looking at is Matvey Mitchkov. If it gets to the, the if the Capitals get there, and and Mitchkov is still on the board, I think. He, you, you run to the podium and you take them. I mean, you know, you're, you're going to have to eventually move on from, from Alex Ovechkin, but Matt Mitchkov to me makes too much sense for them um, because they're, they're moving into a new era. This is a player that, you know, coming into this season and, and really before things really started going haywire with Russia, Matt Mitchkov was a guy that talked about in the same sentence as Connor Bedard. It's between these two guys. These are the guys that are battling for first overall. These are the guys that are going to be special. I'm telling you right now, it's been more out of sight, out of mind with Matthew Mitchkov. But even with all of the risk that comes with that pick and understanding that the quality of the players in the top five is good enough to, to maybe skip over him, you cannot find better value at any point after five if Mitchkov is still on the board. I'm, I'm just, I, I just firmly believe that, that he's that good of a player. Um, it's just a matter of does the risk meet or does the reward meet the risk that you would take on? Because it is a significant risk given the the un, the uncertainty with Russia, you know, the fact he's under contract with a big club. But I'm telling you right now, the best Russian players, even amid everything that's happening in their country right now, the best Russian players want to play with and against the best and they want to come to the NHL. Matt Vemichkov has that drive. He has that intensity. I firmly believe he will be jumping at the opportunity, especially if it's with the Washington Capitals, which has had a history of great success with Russian players, most notably Alex Ovechkin. 
All right, we move on to number nine. Our, this is the, We're already through nine questions. We're rolling here, folks. We're rolling. Uh, this one comes from Dana, and this is in relation to a goaltender, and this is, can Michael Hrabble be a first-rounder? And that's a great question because what we don't know is, is how the goalie draft is going to shake out because we know there are players that teams value pretty highly, Hrabble being one of them. He had a really good under 18 worlds on a bad check team. He kept them in games. He's competitive. He played all year with Omaha, which is one of the, you know, one of the least successful teams in the USHL this year. And he kept them in games and he won them some games and he played really well. But again, you know, his numbers don't jump out at you, but here's what does. He's a six foot six goaltender with tremendous athleticism. He competes hard for pucks. He's pretty good. Technically he has all of the tools that NHL teams are looking for. It's very difficult to draft goaltenders, and I think as we're seeing in the playoffs, as we see Aiden Hill, you know, continue to win for the Vegas Golden Knights, as we continue to see, you know, uh, various players that that have stepped up, Philip Grubauer finding a way to, you know, get his old form back. You know, Sergei Bobrovsky has has been uh, up and down throughout his career, but he's found it. You know, the 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 polarity of of trying uh, of a goaltender's best and worst is really difficult to gauge because you have to find the guy that's obviously better more than he's bad. And that can be a real challenge at this level. And that's why so many teams are starting to invest more in goalie development. So to the short answer to your question is, I don't think we're going to see a goalie go in the first round this year. But I will say that I think Michael Robble is one of the goalies, one of the few that could potentially go in the first round. And it would be a complete upside play. It would not be based on tremendous confidence that he's going to be a starter. It's saying he has all of the tools. Let's put them to good use here. I just think that teams are a little bit leery. They want If they're going to draft a goalie in the first round, they want some certainty or, or feel very confidently that this is going to be a future starting goaltender. It's happened before. Andre Vasilevsky is a great example. But there have been plenty of other examples where the player never really panned out. Some guys that never even played an NHL game. And so that is the big concern. And so I think that we will see a run on goalies in the second round. I've been saying it for a while. I think the goalies will go early in the second round. I think Robble has a great chance to be the first goalie off the board. And, you know, he's at this point committed to return to the Omaha Lancers next year. So... You'll be able to watch him on Flow Hockey next year as well. All right. Man, allergy season. I'm telling you, it's getting me right now as I continue to dry up here. But anyway, we're going to move on, and we got more goalie talk. And I love goalie talk, and eventually I'm going to get a goalie expert on here because as much as I love uh, watching goaltenders operate, boy, I'll tell you, they are really tough to evaluate. But this is a great question from our pal Friday. And Friday asks, after Jacob Fowler's huge year and playoff MVP, <coughs> excuse me, do you see him climbing up the goalie rankings? Where do you see him going in the draft? Well, I did mention earlier that I think that his stock is on the rise. No question about it. Where he goes in the draft is a little bit tougher to project. As I mentioned, a number of goalies seem to be in front of him right now. The thing about Jacob Fowler is he's kind of right on the cusp in terms of the height that teams are looking for. Um, he's there. He's, you know, he's basically 6'1", 6'2". Um, and so that is helpful to him. He has that great postseason performance. He had a great year, USHL goalie of the year. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind he's going to be drafted and probably drafted within the first three rounds. So 
it just comes down to how long is that run on goalies in the second round? Which goalies are going to go ahead of them? Does you know does Trey Augustine, Michael Robble, Carson Bjarnason, um, you know Adam Guyan, are those the guys that are going to go ahead of him, or is Fowler going to break through that group? And there is absolutely going to be teams out there that that, that have him listed ahead of some of the guys that I just mentioned, and. You know, he's headed to Boston College. That's another thing that's a benefit to teams. They know that they have a long time for, you know, he's going to go there. He's probably going to be the number one starter immediately. He's going to play a lot of games. That will be attractive to teams to, to see him do that. So that is all part of the evaluation. What has he done? Where is he going? How is he going to develop? How much contact are we going to have with him? Can we, you know, still work with him closely? Um, and that will determine, you know, how much, where a player goes in the draft is usually a, a good indication of how much a team is willing to invest in their development as well. And so if there's a team out there that has a lot of belief in him, I think he could go in the second round. I think it's more likely he goes in the third or fourth round. Uh, but he's a goalie that is going to get selected. And, uh, and, and I think whoever selects him is going to be really excited to have him. Very good player. A lot to like there. All right. We're going to stick with the USHL draft eligible pro- prospects. And this one comes from Mitchkey, who asks, what range do you think Jaden Perron of the Chicago Steel goes, and where would you rank him? Well, I don't want to give away my ranking yet because that's going to come out, but Jaden Perron will be on it, so you at least got that much. Um, he will be on the draft rankings that will come out on June 1st. Uh, but as far as where he goes, very difficult to answer. Jaden Perron had a great season for the Chicago Steel. It didn't start great, but it ended great. He had a really good second half. You know, they were without uh, Macklin Celebrini for the first round of the playoffs, and that became Jaden Perron's opportunity to shine, which was really great to see. He, uh, you know, he was able to take over some games there, and he showed his skill. He's got a really good one-timer. He's got scored some really nice goals this year, um, makes a lot of plays. I mean, the skill level is is there. The hockey sense is there. Um, you know, the, what what's not there is is the size. Um, you know, and, and I think that the skating ability could probably stand to improve at his size. Now he's going to the university of North Dakota. You know, it's been a place where guys have really developed into solid NHL players. You know, I think that he has an opportunity to go there and, and, and carve out a role right away. Um, but I think more than likely Jaden Perron is going to be an early day two pick. Um, I know some projections have him as a first rounder. That's not the feeling I've been getting from NHL teams that I talked to or NHL scouts that, that are more familiar with the USHL. I think more feel he's probably a, an early day two pick, second, possibly even third round. Um, and then I can just tell you that in terms of my rankings, he's going to be projected into the second round uh, for me, but I won't go into the specifics because, hey, I want you to read it over at flowhockey.tv, and so that will be coming out soon. Uh, all right, our next question comes from Matt, and Matt asks, what is the highest draft pick that could be traded? Now, that's a great question. I mean, let's think think about, you know, kind of what exists in the draft order. You know, the fact that the Arizona Coyotes have two picks, you know, with six and 12, could they try to move up? Could they try to package those in and maybe something else to, to get into that top four, that top three, you know, to get to make sure they get one of, you know, they wouldn't get Bedard, but, you know, Fantilli or... You know, probably wouldn't get him either, but Carlson or or Will Smith. Maybe that's maybe that's the play. But I think at six, they're still going to get a player that they like. They're going to be able to address some needs. So I, I have a hard time seeing any of those top ten picks moving. Um, but you know, once teams are kind of packed up, 
you know, what will they do with that? And I think that there's, there's a lot, a lot there to, to like in terms of, you know, Hey, if there's a team out there that's has an, an NHL roster player, they need to move some cap space. Maybe those draft picks come into play, um, you know, with the cap, not going up the salary cap, not going up, that leaves a lot of intrigue in terms of what teams can do. So what I would say is, you know, the highest pick that could be drafted or traded away rather, you know, I think it's probably starts at six. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily likely. Um, I don't think the you wouldn't see the Philadelphia Flyers parting with their pick. Um, but, you know, maybe that that right outside the top 10 is when we start seeing a little bit more movement there. All right. So our next question comes uh, from Riding the Pine. <coughs> Excuse me. And. This is about the Blackhawks' second first-round pick that they have after Bedard. Who do you think in this draft, outside of the top 10, would be a perfect line mate for him? Man, that's a tough one. You know, it, so <laughs> at night, I believe the, the next pick the Blackhawks have is 19. And so to have that second first-round pick, it's going to be tough to project who's going to be available there. Um, but if you are giving me the parameters of trying to pick a perfect line mate for Connor Bedard, um, you know, I think in that 19 range, you know, you might, you might get lucky and have a Colby Barlow still there. The thing that I like about him is that he goes after pucks. He's hardened to the corners. He's got a really good shot. So he's an additional threat on the line. Um, I just don't think that that's a player that necessarily is going to be available there. So I don't want to send you down that path necessarily. Um, you know, but I think that some of the other guys that kind of come into that range, um, you know, Riley Height has a has a really good ability to find players. He's got good vision, you know, can make some plays. Uh, Callum Ritchie is another one that, you know, had such tremendous success internationally, um, but didn't necessarily have as much um, in, in junior this year. So, you know, those are guys that are that should be around there. Um, you know, maybe a, another guy that could be uh, interesting is Daniel Boot, uh, the six foot five Russian forward that has tremendous hands and good playmaking ability on top of being a goal scorer, you know, so you get some size with the undersized Bedard that could be a, an option for you. But, you know, I think that the, when the Blackhawks go to make that pick, that's not the, the approach they're going to take. They're not going to say, who do we get to play with Connor Bedard? They're going to say, who's the best player available? And I think in that range, you might be finding some defensemen, you might find some bigger forwards. Um, you know, you'll, you'll kind of have to wait and see what happens there? I think Chicago also has the potential to trade up, um, and then that gets them into the range where they could get guys like Braden Yeager or Colby Barlow, and um, or or Gabe Perot or somebody like that, or Ryan Leonard even. Um, you know, if you're able to get high enough, so that's a very interesting situation to be in. Uh, but the Blackhawks, obviously, everybody's gonna be paying attention to the first pick, but obviously they're gonna value that next pick and all the second rounders that they have is very important as well. All right, we are almost done with our questions, but I got a couple more that I want to roll through very quickly. This first one comes from Gary, and it's a it's this, I got this one via direct message, so you won't see it pop up on the screen, but um, it, it's a good question. Uh, so question for your next podcast. Outside of Axel Sandine Pelica, David Reinbacher, Tom Vlander, uh, uh, Oliver Blanc, um, or Cam Allen, who are your next 10 best defensemen look like in the draft? Well, I don't want to go too deep in that because that gets into our rankings and you'll be able to read that soon. Um, you know, I think that Cam Allen has fallen out of the group of the top group of defensemen. Um, you'll start hearing a lot more about uh, other players. I think, you know, uh, 
what the 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 guys you mentioned, Sandy Pelica, Reinbacher, Vlander, Bonk, those are a few of the guys that I feel confident are going to be the first round. The other guys, the two Russian defensemen that are going to be very highly regarded, Dmitry Simashev um, and uh, Gulaev as well. Is those are two guys that you know have the potential to go in the first round because of the Russian situation. It's not a guarantee that they go that early, but I think those are good guys. Theo Lindstein. Um, more of a defensive defenseman. That's a player that you know I think should still probably go. I don't think he's going to be a first round pick. He's not a first round lock, not for me at least. Um, you know, I just don't think the offensive upside is there. But he's a tremendous defender. Um, you know, I think that you'll see kind of in that second round range, guys like Lucas Dragasevic go. Um, you know, uh, Etienne Moran. There's a lot of really good defensemen, just not amazing guys. Guys that you say, okay, well they're clearly you know, in the first round discussion, that's just not what we're going to see. So that's what you get with, uh, with those guys. So uh, a lot of good defensemen available in this draft, but I think you nailed the guys that are uh, among the best in terms of Sandy Pelica, Reinbacher, Vlander, and Bonk. Um, those are probably the top four defensemen. If you don't count the Russians, I think Simashev and, and Gulaev could be in that mix as well. All right. Our next question comes from Adam and Adam asks, do the Red Wings make all five picks in the first two rounds? If you think not, which do they move and for what? Hope you're well. Cheers. Well, thanks, Adam. That's very nice of you. I am doing well, aside from the apparent cough that I can't get rid of during this podcast. But for you, um, you know, I think that the way things are structured with the Red Wings, they are starting to feel, hey, we're ready to make a push. We've got our core. We've got, you know, some good players that we're going to be able to get. They have a top 10 pick this year. So I do think that there could be potential to move picks um, and, and move around and try to move up. You know, I think there's the, the potential to package some of their second rounders to move up into the draft to get some guys that they feel like could fill out their system. Um, maybe there's opportunities to get roster players. I think Steve Eiserman will explore all avenues. Um, you know, the Red Wings have drafted pretty well. In the last couple of years, they've gotten some some key players, obviously more at Cider, Lucas Raymond, um, Marco Casper among them. Uh, but there's still more work to be done, and they're not done yet. So we'll see exactly what they do. But I, I think that those second round picks uh, could potentially play, uh, you know, could could be in play there um, in order to move up or to make uh, make some roster moves. So uh, it should be interesting. I think the Red Wings are on the come up here. I think that they're they're close. I really like their coach, Derek Lalonde. Um, you know, I've, I've known him for a long time and I just think he's, he's the right kind of coach for the modern player. Um, and that's going to be a great thing for them. So, um, yeah. So I think if you're a Red Wings fan, stay tuned to the draft because there could be some fireworks there. Uh, you never really know what Steve Eiserman is going to do. You just know it's going to be interesting. Um, and it's going to make you think and say, what does he know that I don't? Um, and the answer is often very many things. So, uh, yeah, keep that in mind. All right. So we have our last question here. And this is a little bit more about process. And if I didn't get to your question, you asked one on Twitter. I'm going to try to save them for next week's episode. But this is our last one for today. This one comes from Joseph. It seems like there are a few wings that could play center in the NHL in this draft. And guys like Lucas Carl or Leo Carlson, uh, Samuel Hanzik, or centers that can play wing like Braden Yeager. What do you look for when deciding whether a player will be a center in the NHL? Great, great question because I think it changes all the time. Um, and it usually just comes with how we view players and how they're, how they, how NHL teams are using centers. Now there's one thing that I think is important in, in the center discussion that I've had to come to terms with. And it's that a lot of centers in the NHL are six, one or taller. 
Um, not all of them. You have the outliers like Jack Hughes. You have guys like Braden Point. But you have to remember that those are rare. And so when you look at, at centers, size is an important an important thing to think about. It's very important to think about because these are the guys that are asked to do so much. And so smaller players don't necessarily have the ability to do all of those things. The other thing that's important to think about is how forwards are being used in the NHL. Now there might be guys that take faceoffs that don't play the center position when they're in the, like basically out there, you, you know, so the things that I look for in a center does this player drive play? Are they comfortable with the puck on their stick a lot? Are they more comfortable or not more comfortable, but are they comfortable without the puck? Can they do things defensively? Are they committed to playing the position on both ends of the ice? How are they on face-offs? That's not as important, but it is an important thing, you know, in the grand scheme of whether or not they'll be a center. <clears throat> um, but, you know, I think for wings too, it's like, what are the things that they do offensively that are hindered by their, offensive talent. So you look at Connor Bedard and you say, well, is he a center or a wing at the NHL level? And I think, you know, we we're saying he's, he's a center. I mean, he's been, uh, he scores 71 goals from the center position. Um, and I think that that's, you know, he's, he's going to be one of those guys. that's an outlier. That's a smaller than average center that plays the center position because he doesn't always need to have the puck. He plays well off of it. He has the competitive drive. He's committed to playing at both ends of the ice. And then he happens to be you know, the gate, the most, the most gifted score in this whole draft. So that's amazing. You, that, that, that to him, you know, that makes him special guys like Carlson. It comes down to hockey sense as well. How does he anticipate? Does he understand the position? How is he with spacing and time and different things like that? We have seen no evidence of him being lacking in those areas, especially at the world championship. Um, you know, so guys like him and Hanzik have a chance to play at the center position. Jaeger, who you mentioned, might go out to wing largely because the value that Braden Jaeger possesses is his offensive skill, his ability to score, you know, his ability to make plays, not as much on the other end of the ice. So that comes into the, the discussion about whether he's a wing or a center. But look at the size first. I know people don't want to think about size in terms of prospects, but it is a big factor in mitigating risk. And so that's something you have to think about with them. So really good question from Joseph. There's a lot of, I could probably talk about that for a lot longer in terms of what it means, but I think there are just a few key things that you have to think about when talking about centers starts with size, but also play off the puck and then other things like hockey sense. Well, we made it, folks. It's the end of the show. Really glad that you could join us. Huge thanks to Tyler for producing today's episode. Thank you for your questions. And uh, yeah, we got a lot left to get to. <clears throat> and I better cough so that I can get to the rest of what I need to say. But don't forget, we've got the Kelly Cup playoffs on flowhockey.tv. Don't want to miss that. Next week's episode, we are going to be talking about the NHL draft rankings that will be coming out. So look for that episode on Thursday the same day that the draft rankings will be coming out. We will have lots on why players are ranked where. Uh, so that'll be a fun episode, and we hope you'll stick with us all throughout the draft. Watch us on YouTube. You can also subscribe. Make sure that you are leaving a kind rating and review to help get the word out on your podcast app of choice. You can also catch us on flowhockey.tv and the Flow Sports app. So do not miss a single episode. Also check out all of our clips on YouTube. They're coming up pretty regularly now, and it's a great way to watch the show in small chunks if you so choose. Uh, but please continue to listen to the whole show too. 
it just makes me feel better. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. My name is Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.